If you are deep in the stress like so many of us are, one of the best ways to support your adrenals, hormones, and sleep is with adaptogens. I ditched caffeine over a year ago and now utilize adaptogen blends morning and night. It's been such a nice little hack for me, especially during seasons of sickness and stress, and I have a code for 20% off for you. Adaptogens are herbs or functional mushrooms that have been found to help your body manage stress and maintain balance. They essentially provide your body with the support it needs only when it needs it instead of forcing your body to produce cortisol, which is how caffeine works. Research shows adaptogens can balance cortisol, combat fatigue, enhance focus, ease depression and anxiety, and support proper hormone function. The best and easiest way to supplement with adaptogens is with Organifi Superfood Blends. Here's my tip. Some adaptogens are better in the morning and others are better at night, but it's important to experiment with timing to see what works for you. I like to take green juice, which has ashwagandha mid-morning when I'm stressed or dealing with sleep issues or sick, and I take cordyceps, which is in the red juice before podcasting for energy and focus. And right now I drink gold Every single night before bed, it's my nightcap with reishi in it. I just mix it with water and it helps me relax and go to sleep. Support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. And I've tried a lot of stuff. Organifi definitely tastes the best. They contain clinical doses of adaptogens so you actually feel the difference. Go to Organifi.com forward slash wellfed and use code wellfed for 20% off your entire order. Again, that's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash wellfed. Use the code wellfed for 20% off. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 417. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer, and I am thrilled to be here today with Fallon Lee, who is a leader in the pro-metabolic movement. So many of you have had questions about the pro-metabolic way of eating, and Fallon is just super knowledgeable and just such a joy to be around. She's got an incredible story that I think a lot of you will be able to relate to. And that is growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s, having a very specific viewpoint on food and how you should eat and how you should work out. And then getting into your 20s and 30s and sort of hitting a wall and saying, I have a choice here. My health is tanking. I'm doing all the things that the world is telling me is quote unquote healthy. But now I, I'm not feeling healthy. And she did a 180 and started taking care of her health in a, in a different way and started eating to support her metabolism. So we're going to unpack that today. I know so many of you are going to get benefit from this. And really, you know, as with anything, some things may be helpful for you. Some things may not. So take what works for you and is right for you and use that in your life to improve your health depending on your own personal needs. Fallon is a mom to three. She's a wife to her college sweetheart, and she's a kitchen creative turned business owner out of Dallas, Texas. She launched Fallon's Table to help bridge the gap between nutrition, easy kitchen prep, and delicious food. She offers meal plans on her website, 
which we will link to in the show notes. So now let's get to the interview. Welcome, Fallon. I am thrilled that you're here. And I've been really actually looking forward to this all week. I'm like, yay, I get to catch up with Fallon this week. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. This is a joy to just get to chat with each other. Yeah, so we um, got to connect and meet over uh, a different project that I was working on. We started doing an interview and it was really about your business and Mm -hmm. how you started and all that kind of stuff. And we kept kind of uh, taking a little bit of a left turn and talking about your own personal story. And I was like, I really want to talk with you more about you and your story (laughs) and your thoughts. And um, so once we got off that call, I was like, I need to have you on the podcast. We've got to sit down and and chat and and get to you know talk about your story in particular, which I'm I'm really excited to do today. So I just kind of want to start at the beginning. I know a little bit about it, but I'd love to dive deeper. Talk sure. to me about your own personal history with your relationship with food and your metabolism. Mm-hmm. I'll take it back a bit because you know to to begin, I was a typical '90s kid. I was raised on like toaster strudels and Capri Sun and like really nutritious things. But, you know, I had no awareness of food as a kid. Um, as a teenager, I got into pageants, which like I won't comment a ton on. There were some good things that came out of it. I started lifting and like learned how to interview well, but I also started in diet culture at like 15, 16 years old. Um, and my first mm-hmm. exposure to the world of like, quote, healthy eating was kind of this like what I like to call kind of like a dude bro diet where it's like low fat and like everything's Splenda and it's sugar-free and like no carbs after 5 PM. And you eat, you know, so much like Italian dressing and like lean sliced, you know, Turkey. And it's just like, I feel like all of us have kind of been in that diet in one world or the other. Cause it's still kind of the standard for a lot of people that this is like the go-to healthy diet is like tons and tons of, you know, iceberg lettuce salads, because like there's no calories and you know, lean meats and all of the things that you kind of expect in that sort of world. Um, So that was kind of the basis that I had as a teenager for like, oh, this is healthy eating. And that's kind of the the methodology that I adapted even through college when I got into, you know, distance running and like way over exercising and under eating. And I was still kind of relying on that um, sort of diet approach where it was like, okay, after five, we have to be mindful of carbs or after lunch, even. So, you know, a lot of people take it that extreme that it's like, after you finish lunch, you know, don't lean into the carbs anymore and everything's egg whites and like there's no yolks involved. And that whole arena is what I brought with me into like early adulthood, to be honest. That that was kind of my way of eating, you know, when I was trying, right? Like other times I was just eating a standard American diet and feeling like, oh, I'm so relatively thin. So like I'm healthy. <laughs> but if right. I was trying, you know, when you got your like motivation for the new year or whatever, it was like, oh, I'm going to go back to that sugar-free, you know, low fat approach. Um, so fast forward a couple of years and a few kids later, my health started really tanking. And so that's when I became really aware of the value of whole foods and, um, you know, eating foods that actually existed like hundreds of years ago and relying more on like an organic whole foods approach. That took tweaking over the years, which I can, you know, for sure dive into um, during this conversation. But yeah, my view of food, like most of us, was just so skewed. Like I just had no idea what was actually nourishing. I just kind of went off of whatever, you know, this person said or that person said, and there was no intuition involved. It was just kind of like, well, this person recommends that, you know, low calorie Italian dressing is great. So like I'm going to use that. 
And it just, yeah. you know, I grew up drinking like diet Coke. Cause like, that's better for you because it's diet. And I just had no awareness. And so it took lots of years of becoming very sick, um, having a kiddo who was very sick and, you know, kind of learning along the way that it was, it was a stair step process, right? Like I first got introduced to the paleo sphere where, you know, a lot of good came out of that. Lots of bone broth, lots of, you know, gelatin and collagen, lots of like good animal proteins. Um, but it wasn't until a few years into that journey that I just kind of hit a wall and I, I just wasn't meeting my nutritional needs. And that's the point that I kind of stumbled into the metabolic sphere, if you will. I hate to like always attach a name, but you know, honoring the metabolism, I finally kind of became aware of that because up until that point, like most of us, I hear metabolism and I think, basically how skinny I can stay with eating a ton is yeah. kind of the standard approach is like, if you have a fast metabolism, then you're skinny. And if you don't, then, you know, you're not skinny. And that was the understanding that I had, which is completely off base. The metabolism is the sum of every chemical process happening in our body. And so once I became aware of that, it was like, oh, the metabolism actually applies to literally everything. It's not just like mm. how much you can eat and how skinny you skinny you can stay, which is just you know, there, there, I see where the logic of that came from and how that spiraled into that definition. But like, in truth, your metabolism is not even about how fast or slow it is. It's like, there's all of these processes involved. And so once I became aware of that is when I really started to find healing and healing with my relationship with food and like reframing all of those definitions that I kind of had to tear down from, you know, the pageant days and like the... <laughs> Over exercising right. days, I had to really yeah. like rewire and relearn um, quite a bit in terms of nutrition. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Obviously, we can dive into some of that a bit more because some of it was a bit vague, but um, it was yeah. like a 10 year journey of like really changing my view of food and actually learning what works well for, you know, my female biology. It's so interesting. You're mentioning all these little things that we take with us sometimes from being a 90s kid or whatever. Mm -hmm. We take, you know, we grow up either in a house that has these um, interesting dieting practices or right. we read something in a magazine or we, you know, Pinterest and then we saw it as Fitspo on Pinterest. It's these things mm -hmm. that we take with us and sometimes they still exist, you know, yeah. rent free in our head. Like, oh man, um, if, I, if you're not, if you're not really, uh, like if you're hungry, but you don't want an apple, then you're not really hungry. Like oh. these little things that that <laughs> yes. are like, you know, we uh -huh. we assume that still is right or, mm -hmm. you know, teaches us about our hunger and how we should exist with food and really damages our relationship with mm -hmm. food. So it's interesting, you know, the low fat Italian dressing. I have the, I had this flashback of like mm -hmm. standing at the dressing aisle and like looking to see what had like five calories on the back, right? right? Like you flip them all. Yes. And um and and it's so many of us existed that way and it's so hard to break free from some of those practices or ideologies or even just dieting especially when it comes to our relationship with food because our society has always glorified losing weight and being skinny yeah. as you said in quotations and so anything that turns us away from that tends to be demonized. So mm -hmm. what, and it really takes that moment where you, you, like you said, you hit a wall where mm -hmm. you have to decide and say, okay, do I want to keep banging my head into this wall or do I want to turn around and find a new path? Mm -hmm. So I know you've struggled personally with thyroid disorders. What was some other things that was kind of the wall for you or that aha moment where you were like, this is not the way. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was a combination of things because, you know, it's interesting. My second son and my own health, you know, both of us started this spiral where like we couldn't get our health under control and it was happening simultaneously. Um, he had developed, you know, a full body eczema as like a two month old baby had already had allergies, like just out of the gate. Um, you know, asthma as a kid, like all of that package that, you know, the allergy, asthma, eczema, that package deal that we see in a lot of kids, you know, he kind of entered into the world, like already sort of having that. Um, while that was happening, my own health had just been kind of like a slow deterioration over the past several years. I mean, it kind of, it sort of like started in college when I was again, you know, running all the time, like hardly eating anything, working like two jobs to, you know, pay bills and just running on like fumes and stress hormones. Um, I started developing like anxiety as, you know, a 17 year old and like joint pain at, you know, 18, 19 years old. And it's like, in hindsight, it was like, oh, you need new running shoes or like, oh, you need to like pray more, which like, hear me as a believer, there's a lot of beautiful things that come out of like leaning into the Lord, but my anxiety was also very physiological. It wasn't just spiritual. It was like this multifaceted component And so I just remember feeling like, well, I guess this is just kind of who I am. Like anxiety is just kind of a thing that, you know, people deal with. And so as I got a bit older and started having children, I started running into, um, you know, more joint pain and like consistent headaches and insomnia and like exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Um, I started getting weird, like neurological symptoms. Like I would get tingling in my hands and feet and in my head sometimes. And I would, my poor husband, it's funny in hindsight, like I always thought it was, I was a hypochondriac growing up and like, in truth, I kind of was, but it was my body saying like, Hey, there's actually something going on, but you're not addressing it in the right way. And I remember, you know, I would like force my husband on these random nights. I would have like, you know, tingling behind my eye. And I'm like, we have to go to care now, right now. Like I'm dying and I have to go. And they'd be like, Hey, take some Tylenol and chill. (laughs) And that was the response that it was like, wow, you're fine. I don't know what's going on. And in, you know, in my heart at my core, I'm like, something is off in my body. I don't know what it is, but I just kept adding on more symptoms like back pain by the end of the day. And again, I had my first son at 21. So at this point I'm like 23 years old. And it's like, I've got back pain, you know, GI issues, can't sleep at night, all of these things. And it's like, I should be at the like peak of my vibrancy at that age. You know, even though I have two kids, like I should be really thriving. And I just was seeing my body deteriorate. And so eventually I was like, okay, I've got to, I have to do something like I'm going to go to, I just picked a random doctor that was kind of nearby. And by the grace of the Lord, she was like, let's check your thyroid Um, because I do have history of autoimmune disease in my family. And so they, you know, of course they dive into the whole, like, do you have this in your family and that in your family? And so she deduced like, Hey, let's check your thyroid just to be sure. Um, and sure enough, she's like, Hey, you have Hashimoto's. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but cool. (laughs) Like, what do I do? And of course, you know, they're kind of like, here's some medication. This is just who you are now. And I'm like, sounds great. That sounds reasonable to me. And I just kind of move on. And my son, in the meantime, just can't get better. I mean, he just, you know, in and out of the hospital, um, constant infections. I mean, we just cannot get him over this hump of just having like constant skin issues. It doesn't matter. You know, we started taking out dairy because he had an allergy. And then it was like, okay, now let's add soy. And, you know, a lot of moms are familiar with this. They're, They're breastfed babies. It's like, 
dairy and soy are the first things to go when there's skin stuff. And then it's like, let's try gluten and then let's try corn. And then we just kind of went into the spiral of like adding all these things. And so eventually I landed in the um, world of like Whole30, Paleo, AIP. And in truth, it brought some relief and I think was the door that I needed to walk through to kind of find the holistic sphere. It wasn't exactly it long-term, but it was kind of what opened the door for me to start realizing like, oh, it actually matters what I put into my body. Like it matters Mm -hmm. that my food is actual food and, you know, wasn't made in a lab or a factory. And it matters that my food, you know, wasn't sprayed with pesticides and chemicals. Like it matters what, you know, my beef when it was alive, like it matters what it ate. And so this opened the door for me to be aware of all of this. Um, And then it just has been a really beautiful healing journey since then. It hasn't been of course, linear, that's so cliche. I feel like it's like healing's not linear, but it wasn't. I mean, it was it was years and years and years of trial and error. Um, you know, having to again fight those food fears that I had developed from cutting out so many things. Um, and eventually just kind of landed me where I am today, where I have like complete food freedom and awareness of um what it means to be actually nourished. And, you know, it was a long journey of um like body changes and rerouting thought processes. And, um, the beautiful thing is that we watch my son heal. Like he's Mm -hmm. a beautiful, healthy boy today with no skin issues and, you know, still has some allergies, but he just like, he's a different kid and I'm a different mom because of the way that food has just changed our lives. I love that. I love the analogy too, of like, Sometimes we find things or different approaches like paleo Mm -hmm. that open the door for us. It's like a door we had to go through to kind of find holistic healing and um, a different way of thinking about things and a different way of thinking about food, especially for all the women that are in this community. I feel like everybody found paleo and it was such a twist from or just a 180 from what we had all been raised thinking, which is like low fat and vegetarian and iceberg lettuce and fat free dressing and diet coke like all those things and then all of a sudden you're like oh wait hold on you want me to eat fat like that's good right you're telling me that's that's cool like Uh so um i like that analogy a lot and i know so many people can relate to that yeah i think where people get really hung up because we as women in society we like to have control and Mm -hmm. so Uh, you know, being on following a specific diet or a specific set of rules keeps us, which we believe, keeps things better in in control. Maybe we're trying to have control of our body or our emotions or we're out of control in certain other areas. So this just gives us that control. And the hardest piece is really going from this, you know, rule-focused control restrictive mindset into nourishment, Mm -hmm. which is really important for metabolic function. How did you talk to me? Maybe you just have a few tips, but like, how Mm -hmm. did you go from mentally, go from restriction and iceberg lettuce and low calorie or whatever to like, now I'm going to eat all the foods that support my metabolism and actually like make me feel good. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a multi-step process. And because I was so extreme in my restriction. I got to a point in my healing journey where uh, basically I was convinced every symptom I had was from food. 
And so I got down to, um, in various seasons, seven to 10 foods total that I was consuming. That is not an exaggeration. I mean, literally seven to 10 foods. Um, and so I had a very long way to come and not everyone, you know, goes to that extreme. And so part of my own journey of kind of reconciling my relationship with food was to do a brain rewiring program because I just was, so, you know, my limbic system was so convinced that all food was out to get me. doesn't matter if it's whole food, if it's nourishing, you know, I was so convinced that everything came back to a food sensitivity that I actually had to put in like six months of really consistent daily brain rewiring to get out of that. Um, and it radicalized my health. I mean, it completely changed my life. I was able to start introducing foods pretty rapidly from then. And again, not everyone has that extreme of a journey, but I do think that some sort of like brain rewiring, you know, that can be like tapping is great for that. Um, the program that I did is called the Dynamic Neural Retraining System or DNRS for short. And it's a DVD program. You know, you can buy online. It's a really great thing, but it's not the only option. You know, there's there's tons of things that you can do to repattern your brain and your thoughts around food. So for me, that was necessary. I absolutely had to do the work of like teaching my body and my brain that food is safe. And I think that all of us maybe could benefit from that in some capacity because, you know, we have these preconceived notions of what we can and can't eat or what's, you know, good or not good. And especially for people who come from a background of like, like you said, maybe vegetarianism or even veganism, and then try to transition into animal foods. Like it's a shock to their um, like neurology. Cause they're like, I have, I've told myself that this is wrong or even dairy for me. It was like, I didn't do dairy for five years and then started bringing home gallons of raw milk. And my husband is like, who are you? And what is wrong with you? And I had to do some serious repatterning to kind of, you know, tell my body and brain, like, this is actually, this is nourishing and you are capable of making nourishment choices and your body is capable of digesting and processing nourishing foods. I mean, for me, the mental component was huge. And I had to put that work in to kind of help my body feel safe. Um, and I think the mental component is a really big piece. And then functionally, you know, for let's take dairy, for example, I think a lot of people stumble into the realization that it is an ancestral nourishing food. And they're like, okay, so tomorrow I'm going to go like make a pizza. And it's like, let's take it a little bit more slowly. <laughs> and so I think, you know, when you have gone, years and years demonizing a certain food, I don't always think the best approach is to like go eat, you know, a massive amount of that food the next day. I think that we do our body a disservice by, you know, diving in too quickly and that there's wisdom and kind of a slow approach to like, okay, I haven't actually eaten this food in years. And so instead of going whole hog the next day, I think there's wisdom and kind of gradually, you know, while you're doing the mindset shifts, while you're kind of training your body and your brain to kind of slowly reintroduce those things, and then that gives your brain the ability to kind of catch up and say, oh, this is actually nourishing for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the mental piece is way bigger than people think. You know, I think that yeah. everyone just kind of assumes like, oh, it's just an overnight thing. You know, I went five years thinking that XYZ food was bad and I'm just going to start eating it next week. And I think that we just have to be a little bit more gentle on ourselves and just give ourselves time. Yeah. One of the things that I find to be pretty pervasive in our culture as we, I mentioned this before, but we obviously celebrate skinny and lean and it's probably mm. why you got into running those yes, long distance is. events and, <laughs> um, and same for me too. And it got me down to like a very low weight for my mm -hmm. body. And we know what this does to your metabolism. We know what oh. this does to 
you know, hormone function. However, you're getting all these comments from people around you, like you look so good, yeah, you know, and you constantly, you're getting reinforced. You're getting that dopamine hit from all these, like, you know, back in the day, it was just people saying it, but now it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, double taps and likes and wow, you look great and look at your before and after. And so it's re it's constantly reinforcing for a lot of women, an unhealthy state of being. Was there Mm -hmm. anything that you had to do to kind of like help you not feel like you needed to be at that low weight? And Mm -hmm. because there is a shift, we're going to get into, into like eating for your metabolism in a second, but yeah. You know, I think that this is kind of the the most important foundation, which is how do we get out of this glorification of thinness and mm-hmm. leanness, even at the expense of our health, because it's pervasive. It's everywhere you look. Mm-hmm. I love this question. I feel like I could do a whole podcast with just this topic alone um, to give, you know, the very short backstory, because I realize you know, not everyone listening knows who I am or, you know, my story at all. Um, when I was in that paleo AIP sphere, you know, having two kids, there were people who were like, wow, what motivation you have? Like, look how great you look. And I was crumbling. I mean, I just, I was starving. First of all, mm-hmm. I couldn't eat anything. And so as I started, uh, you know, healing my body, obviously it, it changed. Um, and over the course of, you know, adding a third kid into the mix and then, even then I was still underweight. Um, and then, you know, healing my metabolism and like actually eating enough. I came from severe under eating, had no idea because I, you know, the only calorie tracking point of reference I had again was like the pageant days when I was a teenager. And, you know, I had no awareness of how much I was consuming in a day and it was next to nothing truly. And so my body went through pretty drastic changes, to be honest. I mean, I think it took me probably about 30 pounds actually to get to a place where my body felt safe. Um, and that brought a mental load with it for sure. Yeah. So I think that again, the brain repattering, it, I keep saying repattering, <laughs> Re, the brain repatterning. Kind of sounds right. So, right. It sounds kind of whimsical. Yeah. Um, it was super important because I had, you know, been taught, I had told myself for my whole life that, you know, BMI needs to be a certain thing and, mm-hmm. you know, my weight needed to be a certain number. And so it took a lot of inner work. Uh, in truth, I started going to counseling at some point because I had a lot of shame to kind of recover from, um, you know, gaining that amount of weight within, you know, it was, it was like a, a couple of years for me that my body shifted, but it was still, I had to kind of overcome this idea that I was a different person because in truth, I was kind of stepping into like the best version of myself, but because, you know, we are our own worst enemy. It's kind of just the truth. You know, we compare ourselves to ourselves. Like a lot of women I know aren't like, Oh, I wish I looked more like so-and-so what they think is, Oh, I wish I looked like I did five years ago when I thought that I was too heavy. And then you look back and you're like, girl, what was wrong with you? Like you looked beautiful and fine. Like what, why were you ripping yourself to shreds? And so that was my biggest, uh, I think, roadblock was like looking back at my skinny days, my way too skinny days and having to reconcile that that person was not, she wasn't vibrant. She wasn't living her life. Um, I had developed really like masculine features because my face was just so thin and I was, you know, truly killing myself, like not even an exaggeration, um, you know, running myself into the ground again, quite literally so much running. Why was there so much running, (laughs) you know, always running, always under eating, 
And so I had to just reconcile that like that person was not health. Like the, mm-hmm. you know, that all the things that I was embodying in that season were not health. And so I think some really functional things that have kind of helped me come to grips with um, appreciating my body. Um, it's, you know, more full, it's more nourished, you know, a is acknowledging like all of the health wins that I found. My body is warm now, you know, my hands and feet aren't freezing all the time. Um, I don't have to be on thyroid medication anymore. I don't have like food restrictions and food fear. You know, I can make informed choices and have a one-off where my husband and I go out on a date and I'm not going to be, you know, in bed for three days. Like I would have been in a different season where, my body had no fuel and was turning everything into, um, you know, a reaction of some kind. Um, I've watched my, you know, face fill out and my response to life change. Like I'm more calm and more regulated. I mean, I can look at all of these things that have just drastically changed. And I'm like, it wasn't worth it to be overly thin. Like it wasn't, mm-hmm. I looked a certain way, but I wasn't happy. Like I wasn't happy my health was not thriving. And so I think just acknowledging the health wins is a a huge piece of it. And then, you know, some more functional things is like, I had to change my wardrobe. I had to buy different clothes to feel better. You know, it's not doing us any favors to like squeeze into jeans that don't fit. Um, And having the awareness to say, okay, this size was not realistic. It wasn't actually healthy for me. And I'm not going to keep these in a secret drawer for motivation. I'm not going to do that to myself. I'm going to freely let them go and buy things that are comfortable and that fit. Um, and then I think another big thing is just being aware of the type of people that I'm around, either you know the people that I'm watching on social media. Um, I really started to curate a feed of you know women and accounts that were actually promoting health. They weren't promoting you know the next green smoothie and the next fasted workout. And and you, I feel like we're one of the first people I noticed in this fear that was like pointing women to to truth. And so I love that like yeah. we're getting to chat because I feel like I ha- I've had an awareness of your account for such a long time. Um, but you know, finding people that are also speaking truth about you know what a woman's body should uh, be consuming and what a, you know what's healthy for a woman's body to you know look like even. And so I think the online presence and then the in person presence, like my people that are my closest people are not running themselves into the ground, trying to be, you know, a size two. Um, And I'm not saying you can't have friends that need a motivation shift, but I think, you know, for the people that are in my closest inner circle, I value being around women who do not prioritize their appearance above all else. They prioritize Mm -hmm. their friendships, their kids, their character, And I think that that's huge because the more that you're around people who are also chasing this impossible standard, the more you're going to want to do that. And so I think that, you know, the content we consume online, the conversations we have in person, like those all matter and those all change the way that we perceive, um, you know, the way that we should look. And even like media, it's, it's wild to me. I remember going kind of a long season as my body was changing, um, where I didn't really like consume a lot of, you know, media. I wasn't watching like a ton of movies or shows for, it was probably just a busy season. I don't think it was like a conscious choice, but I remember going to watch some, you know, superhero movie or something in theaters and being like, these women are wasting away. Right. Really. And in yeah. a, in a former life, I would have been like, wow, look how healthy and beautiful she is. Like I aspire to be that. And it just, I don't, it was just this shocking moment that it was like, that's not, my goal anymore. Like my goal is not to perpetually be 
a size zero to four. I'm not saying you can't be healthy. And, you know, some people have smaller frames and I want to honor that. But like, that was my goal as again, a 90s, early 2000s kid was to look like that twiggy figure that we all kind of aspired to be in that era. And just kind of coming to grips that like, I had to change my standard of beauty to acknowledge that women can be full, they can be curvy, um, they don't have to fall into this certain mold to be considered beautiful. And again, that was internal work. I had to kind of do the work to rewire the way that I viewed beauty and the way that I viewed my own beauty. And it's, I mean, in truth, it's just an ongoing thing. It's never, the, it's never going to stop. It's a daily thing that I have right. to kind of come to grips with that, you know, I have worth and value um, in a million different ways that have nothing to do with my appearance. And like truly nobody loves and cares about me because of my appearance. In fact, mm-hmm. it's quite the opposite. You know, you you want to be around people because of the way that they treat you and make you feel. You don't actually care what their gene size is or how much they weigh, or even if they look put together. Like in truth, women who are kind of in, you know, a little bit disheveled, like give me a piece. Cause I'm like, you too, like yeah. we're in this together that like, we're, none of us are walking in perfection. And right. so I think, you know, it was helpful to find the people in my life that I thought, I love these people. Like, I love these women. I respect and honor them so much. And then stop and think, what do I love about them? And not a single time was it like, I really love that she wears a size six. I love that. (laughs) That was never something that crossed my mind. Like, it was never like, wow, I love that she has clear skin. It was like, no, I love the way that she pays attention to the needs and concerns that I have. And I love the way that they make me feel seen and valued. Like, none of it had to do with appearance. And I think going through that process of really, you know, thinking of myself in the lens of like, what would a friend say? You know, how would a friend see me? And then actually adopting that kindness for myself to realize that like, I'm not loved because of the way that I look. It, I'm just not, I'm, I'm loved because of a million other things that, you know, will stand the test of time and not, you know, not my body weight. Listen up if you want free honey. I'm excited to tell you about something I've been supplementing with, and that is high MGO Manuka honey from Manakora. In the remote forests of a small island in New Zealand, bees feed only on the nectar of the Manuka tea tree and make it a super honey that's unlike anything you've had or tasted before. Manakora has absolutely mastered the creamy texture of this honey through their ethical beekeeping practices and keep it 100% raw. It is a super honey because of its unique antioxidant and prebiotics, as well as a natural antibacterial compound called MGO that only comes from the nectar of this tea tree. It contains nutrients that support optimal immune and digestive health. Every batch is 100% traceable with a unique QR code on every jar. You can verify potency, purity, and even learn about the specific beekeeper that harvested your honey. I take it straight from the spoon, but you can also add it to tea or coffee, pancakes, yogurt, salad dressing, ice cream, whatever you want. Menocora's Honey is available in a range of easy-to-use formats, including squeeze bottles and compostable honey sticks, so you can eat it straight or add it to your favorite foods and drinks. If you head to menacora.com slash wellfed, use code wellfed at checkout, you'll automatically get a free pack of honey sticks with your order. That's a $15 value. Again, that's menacora, so M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com forward slash wellfed, or use the code wellfed to get a free pack of compostable honey sticks with your order. You haven't tasted or seen honey like this before, so indulge and try some honey with superpowers from Menacora. I love that you said that you that it's always something that we're continually working on. You know, mm-hmm. you go to the theater and you see 
these women. And it is nice to be able to kind of separate yourself from it because it used to be, I see something, I feel bad about myself. Now I'm going to make some decisions the next day to reconcile that. Mm -hmm. Whereas now it can be, wow, that doesn't look like a lifestyle I want to live. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to go back there. It's not worth it. Um, you know, it, and so we can actually, I think there's so much freedom in being able to acknowledge that other people might be in those places and that doesn't make them any better. That doesn't make them any worse. Mm -hmm. It just means that that's what, how they've chosen to live their life physically, mentally, emotionally, and we can choose not to engage or we can Mm -hmm. choose that. Oh, I can see that, but I don't want to live my life that way. And that's super empowering because you can now say like, there's not this thing on a pedestal that's this thing we need to all aspire to and this is the way we all need to live it's like cool some people have chosen that but that's not healthy for me and yeah. i don't want it you know mm-hmm. um i love that okay pro metabolic eating there's uh i feel like in the last few years this has become um incredibly popular thanks to people like you but also just it's a lot of women in in this community and um just friends and stuff that are talking more about it because I do feel like so many women are struggling with low thyroid function, mm-hmm. metabolic issues, um, adrenal dysfunction, like, uh, you know, dieting and uh, the the way that our world kind of is set up for women is sort of sets us up to fail when it comes mm-hmm. to metabolism and hormones and all the things. So what is pro-metabolic eating and how does it work? Mm -hmm. So I know I mentioned this earlier, but just to kind of refresh metabolism, um, again, it's everything that our body is doing. It is, you know, typically defined as the sum of all chemical processes in our body. So it's not something we separate from, like you said, hormone health or thyroid health or, you know, brain health, heart health. Like there's not these separate arenas, like it's all the metabolism. And I think once I realized that it was like, oh, I'm not jumping into like a new camp. This is actually just like full body wellness. And I think that's important to clarify because, you know, I'm just not a campy person. Like I don't, I don't love that like um, mob mentality where, because that's what how I existed before was like, I'm this now and I have yeah. this label to put on me now. And so I want to be overly clear that like, this is just bodily function. It's not, you know, some like arena that we're in. Um, but the metabolism supportive diet approach is truly one that just takes the usability or the bioavailability of nutrients into account. And so, you know, we've heard probably all of our lives, you know, food has vitamins and minerals. How is our body using those vitamins and minerals has kind of gotten left out of the conversation. Um, And so the metabolism approach takes foods that our body can absorb well. Um, You know, the human uh, digestive system was created in a certain way that is of course different from like a ruminant animal digestive system. Um, And so most people don't really have an awareness of that. So like, let's, I'll get specific because mostly, you know, people hear this and they're like, I don't really know what that means. So a cow, for example, has a four chambered stomach so they can eat grass and, you know, it gets digested um, fully. Humans, when we eat a ton of like leafy greens, because that's the big thing that we hear is like leafy greens have so many nutrients and it's like they do, but how well are we digesting them? Um, Plant protein in a human body is absorbed at, I think like half the rate of animal protein. And so the usability of your nutrients is basically what the metabolic approach is, is based on. 
you know, certain foods have anti-nutrients. That doesn't mean you can't eat them, but it means, hey, let's have an awareness of the uh, proportion of my plate, um, the recurrence of these foods, the preparation of these foods. And so again, as someone who came from a background of like a healthy lunch is an entire salad with Italian dressing and there's no calories. And then stepping into this approach where it's like, oh, you know what's super nutrient dense? Grass-fed ground beef and, you know, root vegetables and fruits. Like those are things that I wouldn't have consumed in a previous life because you just think in terms of, again, you know, macronutrients, which are important, but most people approach food in terms of like, is it low calorie? Is it low carb? And so when we start considering, okay, how is this food actually interacting with my body? That's what the metabolic approach is about. You know, how is this food being used by my body? How can I eat foods and pair foods in a way that my body is actually getting the best bang for its buck? And so, you know, there are kind of, um, you know, standard foods that, you know, we can lean into, but bio-individuality is taken into account as well. You know, the, the pursuit of nutrients is the metabolic pursuit at its core, that we want food that our body is actually going to use, assimilate, absorb, and then um, allow us to function. So it's the nutrient pursuit. But again, with the awareness that sometimes food is, you know, processed by our bodies in different ways than we think. Um, So for example, again, like the leafy greens, how well is my body using those nutrients? Not as well as we think. And so it's important to have, you know, just a wide array of exposure to animal products and fruits and root vegetables um, to eliminate some of those plant toxins that our bodies actually don't absorb as well as we think. And it's it's funny in hindsight, I remember in like my full-blown paleo days, I would have people message me that were like, all of these leafy greens are tearing up my stomach. Like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And in my head, I'm like, I don't know what you're doing wrong either. Like it should be working super well. And it's like, most people actually do find that this diet that's like really high in leafy greens, really low in carbohydrates, it's not working for them. And they're like, why can't I heal on like a, you know, whole 30 or paleo. And it's because we're, we're lacking that nutrient focus. And so that's kind of what this approach is about is honoring that our body has nutrient needs. It has caloric needs. Um, so, you know, eating, like 12, 1300 calories, like most women are, that's not enough to support our metabolism. And so healing the metabolism takes into account, you know, what we're consuming, how much we're consuming. And then of course it's multifaceted. Like what is your stress? Like, what is your sun exposure? Like, you know, how often are you getting outside? Are you staring at your phone at 10 PM? You know, it's so it's like, not just about the food, even it's, it's like this full, I think, return to kind of an ancestral approach is how I like to kind of um, describe it is that it's like, what has worked well in human history and how can we honor that and pull it back into modern times instead of leaning into all of these, like, you know, I don't like margarine wasn't, it was, that's a recent invention. Like we didn't have margarine like 200 years ago. So for me, that raises a red flag, like, okay, was my grandma eating, you know, spinach salads and margarine and like Italian dressing when she was a kid, like, no, she was eating like whole foods that probably were raised, you know, in a sustainable way. And probably like low, I say grandma, let's say great, great, great yeah. grandma. Okay. So to say, you know, I don't actually know. I feel like maybe my grandma, there wasn't right. like my grandmother did switch over to margin, which is like mind blowing. Oh, and yes. then I remember sure having my... to be like, 
go back to butter. It's fine. You know, because they know, grew up I know. during that. Isn't that crazy? I know. I'm like, I actually need to remind that and add some greats in there. Um, <laughs> but it's like, you know, we think about what was what was happening in the diet realm, like before diet culture had such a boom. And I think that those things, you know, can be honored and pulled into this approach is that it honors, you know, what have humans been eating for thousands of years is kind of the, um, I think the nutritional approach that that I like to abide by. So what are some like nutrient dense pro-metabolic foods maybe that most people aren't eating, but are kind of like the basis of the, the diet? Yeah, for sure. And even as I outline these foods, I want to make clear that like not all things work for all people. And, you know, some bio-individuality is always at play. Some of the staple foods, in my opinion, are, um, this is a big trigger, I know, <laughs> dairy. Dairy is so nutrient dense. And again, the sourcing really, really matters. So there's a huge difference between, you know, conventional dairy that you grab at Target and like local raw grass-fed dairy. Um, Dairy is so mineral rich. It has been consumed by humans for thousands of years. And so once I came to grips with that awareness that it's like, how did this overnight become a food that we weren't like supposed to eat? Like milk is literally referenced in scripture. (laughs) Like how did this just all of a sudden become a food that, you know, wasn't okay. And so that was, again, a mental process that I had to work through. Um, but in truth, you know, you look at like Weston A prices work, for example, and some of the most thriving societies were consuming large amounts of dairy. And it's like, how do we reconcile that with this sudden, you know, thought process that like dairy is not nourishing for us. Mm-hmm. And so Did the pictures at, in, in Weston A prices book are astounding when you look oh at my the goodness. teeth. So it's Genuinely. like your teeth tell so much about your health and you yes. find these traditional cultures who have never had dental care ever. And mm-hmm. they have these just like strong, beautiful teeth. And he thought yeah. it was really because of this, like, like holistic dairy there. They mm-hmm. always had cattle. Like, I think it was like one of the cultures he looked at was like, I think it was somebody in Switzerland, um, like a, like a tribe in Switzerland. And it was just incredible. Yeah. And they were all animal based, mm-hmm. you know, with like right. locally properly prepared grains and then in-season foods. And it's like, that feels like it's right. Like, I feel like yeah. let's reference that instead of our current culture's obsession with, you know, whatever the next big thing is. But um, but yeah, dairy has just historically been shown to be such a nutrient powerhouse. Um, animal protein in general, again, is really, really usable by our body. Um, things like grass-fed ground beef, beef liver, which I know turns a lot of people off, you know, cause it's not something we grew up on, but it's one of the absolute most nutrient dense foods on the planet. Um, oysters are a really good source of so many minerals, you know, B vitamins, um, selenium, zinc, um, fresh ripe fruits are amazing for our bodies. So mineral rich, you know, vitamin C content, potassium content, um, things like roots, and, um, you know, root veggies like carrots, squashes, potatoes, how dare we eat potatoes? Potatoes are, are you know, really rich in potassium. Um, like all of the, it's so funny when you, it's like, what are the metabolic foods? And basically you list out everything that anyone in a former life was like, no, I'm not going to eat that. Like <laughs> dairy, animal proteins, fruits, potatoes, cheese. Yeah. It really is like a complete 180 from what most of us have been taught. And so, you know, I want to acknowledge that as I list out these items because it just feels like very shot. Like I was offended. I was mad when I first discovered <laughs> I Serena. Offended. Truly, I because I was like, 
Yeah. I have not been eating these foods for five years and I wore it like a crown. It was like, oh, I haven't had dairy in five years. Like, look how great I am. Um, and so, you know, just want to acknowledge that this list is like a bit controversial if you're coming from the same background that I have. Um, but like eggs with the yolk are so, so nutrient dense. Um, so I think, you know, ultimately again, like let's think about what has been around in food form for, you know, as long as we can remember what's in season, what's been prepared properly. Um, even grains I think can be a part of a really mineral and nutrient rich diet, which is something that, you know, as a former paleo gal, it was like, no, we don't eat grains. I think that, you know, the sourcing, the preparation, the quality, like all of that matters so, so much. But I think, you know, focusing on that whole foods approach where, you know, you're honoring plant and animal in the appropriate ways is kind of the core of how you um, can approach eating in a really supportive way that we're honoring, you know, what has been around for a long time and what has been shown throughout human history to be a vital part of, you know, various cultures diets. What, like, who do you recommend the, like, pro-metabolic way of eating for? I obviously know it's everybody, but maybe, mm -hmm. like, if there's a segment that you think it targets and helps really specifically, yeah. maybe women who are struggling with thyroid issues or whatever, mm -hmm. and why is that? So why is, because, you know, the paleo diet said, oh, is always said kind of like nutrients, nutrient density, like, right. focus on nutrients. So what is the different difference here, even in like what we're excluding, are we just including mm -hmm. more of those foods? Cause all, you know, I understand the whole, the dairy piece, but with yeah. metabolic eating, are we like eating more of that stuff or are, you know, what's kind of the shift that maybe some women, some women who are kind of eating holistic, but are still struggling with thyroid issues or whatever else, like what is that shift that they're mm -hmm. making? That's such a good question. I'm so glad you asked that. And remind me, I feel like there was a two part question here. So remind yeah. me to, to come back to both, but I'm really yeah. good at that. Like I asked like five questions at once. I love so I it. Apologize. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like, you know, how do we differentiate between paleo or whole 30 or any of these other diets that kind of claim to be nutrient focused and a metabolic approach? I think there's a few little tweaks. So again, you mentioned the dairy. I think that's a big component that dairy is truly one of the most nutrient dense, dense foods on the planet and a standard, you know, I know there's some paleo with like raw dairy modifications, but overall, like a paleo whole 30 diet kind of says like no on the dairy. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge component. Um, the other thing again is kind of honoring like what proportion would this food have been eaten in historically? So, you know, I, I've been talking about veggies a lot and I know that's kind of like a hard topic because, um, Veggies are great. I'm not demonizing veggies. So let me say that like out of the gate, because I think that's what some people hear because we kind of interpret things in a, a black and white lens sometimes. But let's think about, you know, was when I was in my paleo days, this is a great example. A go-to staple meal for me would have been like, um, you know, a, a giant like raw veggie bowl with like um, broccoli and cauliflower and carrots and, you know, all of the raw veggies that I could cram into a giant bowl thinking like these are really, really nutrient dense. The problem with that was that I was not pairing it with hardly anything else. So I had no carbohydrate source, um, probably not even a protein source. And there were virtually no calories in that meal. Um, 
And then you pair that with the the truth that like veggies have a lot of nutrients, but raw veggies can be pretty damaging on our digestive tract. And a lot of people find that to be the case. And they're just like, I don't know how to reconcile this because like, I've been told that I should eat a ton of raw veggies, but it's like tearing up my stomach. And I don't know how to make sense of that. It's because we don't have this four chambered stomach like animals do, like I referenced earlier. So, you know, cooking our veggies makes a huge difference in the way that we can absorb and digest them. And again, thinking historically, it's like, would people hundreds of years ago been eating like a massive veggie bowl for lunch? Probably not. They would have had meat, potatoes, maybe some like sourdough bread and butter. They probably had some like in-season veggies and fruits alongside their meal, you know, maybe a glass of milk. Like they wouldn't have been having these giant veggie bowls for lunch. And so I think that's kind of one of the shifts that you have to make is, you know, being aware of like, how many carbohydrates are you consuming? Because in the paleo world, I fell into, I'm not saying everyone has this experience. I fell into this trap where I was not consuming enough. And so it would turn into this like binge, you know, whenever I did consume carbohydrates, like I remember my husband and I would go on like a a movie date night and I would stop by a grocery store and get like 10 dates in a, in a, like a plastic bag and like sneak them in because dates are, you know, the, on the approved list. And I would literally throw back like all 10 of those dates at a time because my body was like, Hey, can we eat just a little bit more yeah. of the carbohydrates yeah. because I wasn't eating any of them. And so mm-hmm. part of the pro metabolic approach is learning how to pair your food together in a way that's supporting your blood sugar, your hormones. And so that I think is an overlooked piece in you know, any of these arenas that try to outline like a yes and no food list, it's just kind of missing some of the picture because the way that we pair food together, I think is is almost just as important as what we're eating because, you know, protein is really important, has this blood sugar lowering effect. So like if all we're eating is protein, you know, in like a keto um, pursuit or something, or like Weight Watchers or, you know, any of those diets that kind of really prioritize protein, if that's all we're eating it's taking our blood sugar down. It's affecting our stress hormones. Um, And then if all we're eating is carbohydrates, like in a standard American diet approach, we're like taking our blood sugar up, 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 up without the protein balance. And that's why carbs get demonized for, you know, diabetic approach or blood sugar approach, because yes, in isolation, yeah, they're not going to be great for your blood sugar balance. And so part of the importance of, you know, pairing your meals is learning how to put things together where, you know, your, your food has a good quality protein source. It's got a good quality carbohydrate source. It's got some good, you know, saturated fats involved. Whereas like a paleo approach, again, I would have eaten probably a giant veggie bowl, which like had some nutrients in it, but I didn't have any fat. I didn't have any protein. I probably didn't have any carbs. Um, and so that's a huge shift and it's, it's wild. I mean, truly I tell people all the time, like three months of raising my carbohydrates and I came off my thyroid medication. That was all my body needed. It was like, I didn't even have to make some drastic, you know, shift. It was like, I started eating more like root veggies and fruits and like fresh juices. And my body was like, oh, this is actually exactly what we needed because the carbohydrate piece, I think gets really, really lost in some of those, um, you know, whole food approaches that claim to be nutrient dense because they're just... There, there's kind of this like weird cap that's set on like, you know, only have a couple of fruits in a day. I remember hearing that from functional doctors all the time. Like mm-hmm. you probably don't have more than like a couple servings of fruit in a day. And so we're just trained to think like, oh yeah, anything more than that is like bad for my body. 
When in truth, fruits are really nutrient dense. They have a ton of minerals. They're a great carbohydrate source. And so I think that it's less about, you know, people that have like a, a kind of black and white mentality want there to be like a different list of foods in like paleo versus, you know, metabolic healing. And it's like, it's not really about the list. It's like, how are you putting them together? How are you preparing them? Um, you know, are you aware of the components of your meal versus just like, okay, well, paleo says I can eat X, Y, Z. So I'm going to, you know, put those together kind of like haphazardly and then hope that it works. And I think that we have to have a lot more awareness of the way that we're combining foods to kind of support our body. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely forgetting what the second part of that question was, but who, that's kind who, of the difference to me in those yeah, approaches. Just, yeah. I like that. I, I just hit me. It's who, um, who would this be? who could benefit from the pro-metabolic diet? Like what are some symptoms or even just Mm -hmm. like chronic illnesses that are like, that is, you're, you're not, you know, Mm -hmm. you could benefit from a pro-metabolic approach. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head when you're like, I know this is for everyone. And so I want (laughs) to give a specific answer, but I feel, you know, that my cop-out answer is like literally everyone, I will get into specifics. I think that the reason why this message has has really taken off is because we now have several generations of women who have hormone issues, thyroid issues, um, infertility issues, mental health issues. You know, there's all of these women that have like a myriad. I mean, they just have like a grocery list of things that they just cannot figure out with their body. And they've gone through the, you know, whole 30 cycle and the paleo cycle and the cutting dairy cycle and going gluten-free. I mean, I think truly this message is for the woman who's done everything and she's tried everything else and she cannot figure out why she can't heal. And she was doing all the functional things, right? You know, we're cutting dairy and we're eating a ton of raw vegetables. And, you know, we are like all of those things that you kind of get recommended out of the gate when you try to pursue kind of a, a functional approach. And then that might work for a couple of years. And then like me, you kind of hit this point where it's like, okay, but I need more. Like, I don't feel like I'm enjoying my food. I don't actually feel like I you know, feel vibrant and healthy. And so I think really the woman that is drawn to this approach the most often is, is that girl that's mm-hmm. been spinning her wheels for years and years, cannot seem to find an answer, even within the more holistic community. And, um, because that was me, that was my story. And I think that's why so many people connect with it because they have just been told for years now that like, Hey, you're doing everything right. Like you're eating all the right foods, you know, you're trying to like get movement in and they still can't figure out what's going on. And I think this is the missing component that they have Mm -hmm. not had a metabolism awareness. And so I think that's the girl that like really gets drawn to this arena because she just doesn't know what else to do. One last question before we jump into some of these more specific questions. Um, What's the deal with the carrot salad? (laughs) I keep seeing this around. I keep seeing it recommended, but you keep talking about not enough veggies. But then I do know maybe this is not something you follow. So, uh, you know, you can clarify that. But I I see a lot of people talk about carrot salads. (laughs) Yes. This is actually a great clarifying question because carrots are one of the few veggies that eaten raw. Our body does digest really well. And this is great timing because um, the doctor that came up with this raw carrot salad ideology is Dr. Ray Pete, and he did pass recently. And so this is a great opportunity for me to kind of honor his legacy. So he was the creator of the salad. The components are shredded raw organic carrots, um, a little bit of like MCT or coconut oil. You can also use olive oil. 
um, some salt, sea salt, like good quality white sea salt and a little bit of vinegar. So you can use like apple cider vinegar, um, white vinegar. And what this does is it helps our bodies clear out endotoxins. Um, and so it's a great way to, you know, balance our hormones. So a lot of women, you know, are dealing with like high estrogen symptoms and like low progesterone symptoms. And so the raw carrot salad helps clear out the extra estrogen that we don't need, helps overall balance our hormones and helps us get rid of kind of like the extra toxic, like junky stuff that we don't need. So if someone is like, Hey, I want to detox in the new year. I'm like, eat a raw carrot salad every day for a month and see what it does. I mean, truly. I did a whole post last month on Instagram titled, here's why you're waking up between two and 4 a.m. And it blew up because most of you are struggling in the sleep department. One of the reasons, a magnesium deficiency. In fact, many of you said you started taking magnesium because of the post and saw dramatic improvements in sleep. So here's the deal. Stress burns through magnesium, and it's a mineral that most people are deficient in because it's really been depleted from our soil and food. Being stressed when you're already deficient in magnesium can wreak havoc on your sleep. Magnesium increases GABA, which encourages relaxation on a cellular level and is critical for sleep. I personally take Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, and the reason it is so effective is because it's a full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress relief and better sleep all in one bottle. When you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body gets an upgrade from your sleep to your brain, from stress to pain and inflammation. And for a limited time, you can get some freebies with your order. Just go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed10, then use the coupon code wellfed10. In addition to the discount you get by using our promo code wellfed10, you can unlock special gifts with your purchase. Again, that's mag breakthrough, M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com forward slash wellfed10 and enter the code wellfed10 to activate our exclusive discount and freebies with your order. Okay, mm-hmm. so this I know that uh, eating this is one of the things that the pro metabolic movement is known for, which is eat breakfast, stop yes. fasting. So mm-hmm. we have a couple of questions about that. Of course. Um, <laughs> first, first, this is from Jody. She said, "Can you just talk about meal timing around workouts specifically?" So I had that question. I'm going to combine mm-hmm. it with another one, which is like, Perfect. "How do you fuel for like a suit? You get up early, mm-hmm. get this early morning workout. Does this? Do we have to get up and eat?" breakfast right away and talk to me about why that's necessary. Yeah, for sure. Again, this will be a multifaceted. So please remind me if I miss something, (laughs) but you know, to, to start with like the logic behind, like, why do we need to eat in the morning? Um, we have fasted all night long. And I think that's something that people kind of forget that like, Hey, you actually do fast every single day. Like you have this period where you're not eating and it's called sleep and it's wonderful. And we don't actually need to add on like longer windows of, of not eating. And I know that's a hard, like people always get upset about this topic and that's just the truth. And I'm so sorry. Like if this is a trigger for you, please know that you are still, you know, cared for, but like eating in the morning is, is, you know, helping our livers replenish because in truth, like our livers only have the ability to have that energy for about as long as we sleep. It's like eight to 10 hours. And then it completely runs out of fuel and we need to replenish. And so eating first thing in the morning is one of the absolute best ways to restore thyroid function, hormone balance. Um, because the longer we go without eating, 
our stress hormones, you know, start climbing up, up, up. Yes. And so eating first thing in the morning is just, I mean, I could, you know, we, again, we could do a whole episode on this alone, but it's really foundational. If you are looking to heal your, um, basically anything in your body, like anything that your body is doing, you need food out of the gate. And so when it comes to workouts, um, I really love the ideology that like our best workout window is kind of in between that like mid morning and early afternoon window. I get that's not realistic for everyone. So just to make that clear, but I think like biologically, we have the ability to have the most energy, um, you know, have the the most successful workout within that maybe like 10 a.m. to like 2 or 3 p.m. window too late. And we run into interfering with stress hormones, um, our circadian rhythms, like if it's pitch black outside and you're exercising, it's like, this is not biologically appropriate. Like it's time to sleep. That's why the sun went down so that we can rest. And so in terms of fueling, I think the best thing that we can do for our bodies is to have a really solid breakfast, um, a really solid morning snack, lots of protein, and then pursue exercise after that. I get that's not realistic for a lot of people. And so I think sometimes the hard truth is that you just kind of have to to figure out like, what is your priority? At some point, we do have to come to grips with reality and like the reality of how our female physiology is designed that like a 5.30 a.m. fasted workout is actually sending our stress hormones way out of whack. Like it's not making us actually healthier when we're doing like, this is different than like, let's go for a morning walk to the garden. And like, maybe we've just had a little bit, I'm talking like, you are all in at 5.30 doing like CrossFit and CG and whatever else. Like your body's just not ready for that. It's just the truth of it. And so I think that we have to give our bodies nourishment and fuel before we ever consider doing some sort of like high intensity workout. I get that times have changed. We were a lot more active, you know, in like historical eras than maybe we are today. But like, we just don't see this biological evidence of a woman getting up at like, you know, before the sun is even awake and going to like, I don't know, bust out some burpees. Like we just don't really see that historically. And so then we have to start asking why, like, why are we all of a sudden doing this? Is it because we want to pursue thinness? Is it because we think it's what he- what is healthy? And I think that you just kind of have to ask yourself that, like, what is my reasoning? I say at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what rules and regulations or opinions people put out. Like if you're thriving, go for it. Like if you have been doing, you know, morning workouts and you're eating afterward and like your stress hormones are in check, your metabolic markers are in check. You feel like the best version of yourself. Like I am not going to rain on your parade genuinely, but I think most women who try to do this pursuit of like really early morning workouts, um, and then not eating until, you know, a couple hours later, they're just struggling is the truth. And so that's the woman I'm talking to. Like, if you feel like you're, you've got it under control and this works well for you, mm-hmm. I'm not here to tell you otherwise, but I think that there's a reason so many of us tried that approach for so long. Um, that's how I used to run is I would wake up, maybe eat like half a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and then go for like a several mile run. And my body didn't love it. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't enough fuel to start my day with that intensive a workout. So I do think we need to eat before we work out. I think a really good protein source and some carbohydrates, so like eggs and fruit um, and some sausage, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated, like Greek yogurt and fruit, um, something that gives our bodies some protein, some carbohydrates. And I think once we have the nourishment base set, then we can work out. Um, this is a whole other topic, but you can use your temperatures and pulses to determine if you have fueled your workout enough 
So let's say, you know, you work out in the morning and 30 minutes after exercising, your temperature is super low. Like it's, you know, we want to be in that 98 degree range. It's below that after 30 minutes of of working out, then you probably didn't eat enough beforehand. Um, Or if your heart rate is still like skyrocketed, you know, 30 minutes after working out, then you maybe didn't eat enough. And there's some good resources on this. I think um, they're called Real Food Gangstas on Instagram. Josh and Jeannie Rubin have a post somewhere about how you can use your temps and pulses to actually see if your workout is helping you or not. But there's simple things we can look at. You know, it's not because everyone I think likes to come back to like, well, how am I feeling? And I think that's important, but sometimes there's some masked things. Like maybe our heart rate is way too high, but we feel the like stress hormones and we're like, oh, I'm so energized. And it's like, well, that's actually stress hormones. So like, I think that we could use our body's, you know, markers like our temperature and our pulse to kind of see, did I actually eat enough before I exercised? And I think that you can be kind of intuitive there. Um, But I do think it's important to eat. I'm going to have to look that up. Mm -hmm. Um, You said real food gangsters. Yes. Okay. Okay. How does sleep and stress affect your metabolism and how should we make adjustments to our food when we experience poor sleep illness and or high stress? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the other really fundamental point of metabolic healing is that it's a pursuit of lowering stress. Um, And so we do that in so many different ways. You know, under eating is a form of stress. Um, you know, obviously we have our emotional stress, mental stress, physical stress. There's so many components of stress, you know, our toxins, our lifestyle, our relationships. Um, and so I think that, you know, if we, let's take somebody who is living a really high stress lifestyle and, you know, I I feel like we could reference sleep and stress in in maybe two different conversations, but I, I guess I'll start with the stress. You know, let's say that you are someone who is just chronically stressed. And I mean that in every form of the word, you know, I don't just mean like emotionally, you're like, I'm stressed out, I can't handle this. But you know, you're not eating enough, your, um, your food quality is not great, like your cleaning supplies are toxic, like all of that is creating a stress environment. And so I think in order to best support our metabolism, we have to address all of that. And I don't mean that as like an overwhelming thing. I think it's actually really empowering thing that like, hey, we do actually have say, over our stress bucket. You know, there's this analogy of like, we kind of have this bucket. And once the stress starts overflowing is when we start seeing issues. And I think it's really empowering that we can use things like, you know, sun exposure and like getting outside and grounding and eating organic foods, you know, having supportive relationships, like all of those help us bring that toxin and stress bucket down just a little bit. And so I think the more that we can do to find ways to lower stress in, again, every sense of the word, not just like, I'm so stressed out, but like all of those things that play into our stress, um, I think that's really important. And what it does when we have too much stress is that it helps lower, I say helps, like it's actually doing us a favor. (laughs) It does not help us. When we have too much stress, our thyroid conversion and function goes down. So it's kind of this like back and forth, like the stress hormones are doing this and our thyroid's ability to do anything is doing this at the same time. So the further that we widen that gap, of course, the worse off we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the more stress we have, the less ability that our body has to, you know, really complete its, its functions, like its normal functions. And so this is why we see things like hair loss a lot of the time can go back to stress and thyroid issues. And are you eating enough? Because your body at its core, will prioritize the most necessary thing. Hair, when you're trying to survive, is like 
kind of optional, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this is when we see women start to have issues. Like, you know, they, they can't like figure out their hair health or, um, you know, things that, that your body kind of feels are, are secondary because the stress is just, it's just become way too high. And then in terms of sleep, um, you know, again, our, our sleep cycles are help regulating all of those hormonal functions, all of those stress responses. And so a lot of women think that, you know, the best thing they can do is, you know, if they have to choose between like, I'm going to get eight hours of good quality sleep, or I'm going to get six hours, but then wake up and work out. A lot of women are picking that second option, thinking that they're doing the most supportive thing. Um, and I feel like you talk about this some too on your platform, just that like, there's value in rest, like rest is healthy for us. And I think that we kind of live in this culture where women are told the opposite. And they think that, you know, work out at all costs. Like you're lazy if you're not getting up early to work out. And it's like, no, we're actually honoring our body's needs by getting the rest that we need. Um, and so sleep, I think is, is, it's one of those pillars of health, you know, which is great. Cause that's across the board in almost every health pursuit. It's like, are you getting enough good quality rest to actually allow your body to regenerate and restore? Um, detoxification happens during um, like our deep sleep cycles. And so if we're not getting enough good quality rest, which there's so many things that play into that, that, you know, we don't have time for, but like the amount of food you're eating plays into your sleep at night. So if you're not eating enough, your sleep might be off. And that might be the only reason, like I was an insomniac for years and it turns out I actually just was eating way too few calories. And once I addressed that, my sleep just drastically changed. Mm. Um, and then I think you asked like, what are some of the more supportive foods we can eat in times of high stress? I think having a mineral awareness is one of the best things that you can do. And so I, I get that that's maybe a new conversation for some people. But you know, when I think of the absolute most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, I think of beef liver, I think of oysters... I think of fresh fruits, um, eggs, and other animal protein that's been quality sourced. And then, you know, you can strategically use things like um, an adrenal cocktail, which is a way to replenish your minerals. It's it's just a glass of orange juice with a little pinch of salt, and then either some um, cream of tartar, which is a potassium source, or you can use like coconut water. And that's a really good tool to have to just have in your back pocket for those days that you feel like you're not rested enough. Like if I have a, a, a night of, you know, not enough sleep, I might have like an extra adrenal cocktail that day to kind of replenish some of those minerals. Um, so there are certainly things that you can do. I think that leaning into the nutrients is the best thing that you can do when you're not getting enough rest. And then ultimately like figure out how do we get more rest? You know, I think that there are things that we yeah. can kind of do in like shorter seasons to kind of support our bodies, you know, newborns and postpartum and things like that. But ultimately, I think the best thing we can do is like, how do we actually support our rest? Maybe we give up that morning workout. Maybe we give up the, you know, show binges at night. Um, maybe <laughs> right. we put up the phone sooner. Like how do we actually create sustainable habits instead of running off five hours of sleep and then thinking like, how can I optimize my health? Like you just can't, you just got to get more sleep and figure out how do you meet that end? Yeah. I love that. What do you do when you don't get, when you get poor sleep, you got to prioritize your sleep. <laughs> right. <laughs> the next night you got to figure out how you can't get sleep. And honestly, that's how right. it works for me. It's like, if I have a poor sleep, then it's like, I'm not working out the next, the following day. I'm yeah. figuring out what do I, what am I doing tonight to get us all to bed earlier so that I can get into bed earlier. Like, it's like, you know, that's, let's get more sleep. Yeah. Um, last question before we jump off, we're going a little bit over, but 
Is it possible? This was another popular question. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to actually eat pro-metabolic when you are not consuming dairy or you're currently dairy-free? It's a good question. Yes, I do think it is. I have a post in my Instagram feed on this specifically because I do have a son that has a um, like an EpiPen level dairy allergy. So like it's a non-negotiable, we don't do dairy for him. Mm -hmm. And so we have had to get creative in finding ways to still meet those nutrient needs. I think the biggest focus that you need to have if you're dairy free is calcium. Um, you know, those, all those nineties, two thousands ads about calcium, like they actually were spot on. Like we, we milk is a hands down the best source of calcium. It, it just is one of the best usable sources for our body. Um, so using things like, um, pearl powder, it's a great supplement that you can like stir into your coffee for some extra calcium, um, using things like molasses is a good calcium source. Um, like a vegetable broth made with, you know, you can just almost the same way you would make bone broth. You can simmer like spinach and kale. Um, and that can, you know, leach the calcium into the broth that you can then use for like soups and stews or just to drink, but really being aware and honestly, maybe even tracking in like chronometer your calcium intake, I think it's really important because that's one of the biggest things that you lose when you're not consuming milk. And then otherwise, I think you just have to be aware of like your fat soluble vitamins, because that's another big thing that dairy is great for is giving our bodies, um, those fat soluble vitamins that allow us to be um, like nourished and hydrated. Um, fat soluble vitamins are often a precursor for using other nutrients. So like we have to have those for other nutrients to even be used. Right. So I think things like your other animal proteins, you know, your grass fed beef, your egg yolks, um, eggs are a great source of, you know, so many minerals. It's like a complete protein. It's got so much jammed into it. And so I think if you're not doing dairy, really focusing on like the grass-fed beef, the beef liver, egg yolks, again, some sort of calcium awareness is super, super important. So, and there's a whole list. Again, I have a, a post in my feed. Um, it's it's a while back now. I think the the text on it is talking about how dairy-free diets can lack critical nutrients. And there's a couple of other slides that give like supplementation and foods to focus on if you can't do dairy. But the short answer is I think it can be done. I think that if it's necessary, I think that it can be done. I also would encourage you to um, maybe put the work in to figure out how to add dairy back in because a lot of people find that they can after they address their, you know, severe under eating or, you know, gut health issues, they find that they can actually add dairy back in. So, and then another functional thing, I have a great um, dairy reintroduction meal plan as part of my content. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who used that meal plan for like a few weeks and then started reintroducing like raw quality dairy. And they were like, oh, I actually didn't have a lactose intolerance. I just wasn't eating enough and like eating the right kind of dairy. So right. I think that, you know, there's things that you can do to kind of bandaid it and like get those nutrients. And ultimately, I think that it's really encouraging to know that just because you can't do dairy in a season doesn't mean that it's a long-term thing that, you know, there are ways to kind of heal that intolerance. Um, and I'm evidence of it. I used to have really bad dairy reactions and now I eat dairy several times a day, which is mm -hmm. super encouraging to know that like you can do that. You Your body can actually heal. Yeah. No, I have a similar kind of experience with dairy where, I mean, I had problems with it all growing up and mm -hmm. I'm still sensitive, but I can do, it's a, a lot of it. And what we don't realize is how dairy is processed. So like, uh, I'm not going to be able to do a conventional cream 
that, you right. know, was is pasteurized and all the things, but I can easily do raw cheese and mm-hmm. like grass fed yogurt and like raw milk. Yeah. So, there, you know, I think that we also have to realize sometimes our, our bodies are, rea- are reacting to that food being processed and a lot of those nutrients that help it be digested are removed mm-hmm. when when we have that pasteurization, yeah. all that processing. Um, so, yeah. Okay. That was it. We do have to stop talking that was great. now. Yeah, unfortunately, we, I gotta let fun. you go. I gotta, we gotta, we gotta stop. People are like, how long is this going for? Um, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Of course, um, this was a gift for answering all these questions. Let me. Where can we find more about you? Yeah, for sure. Instagram is where I hang out the most. It's just Fallon Danae on Instagram, and from there you can find, um, you know, my site and my business is Fallon's Table. So Fallon'sTable.com is where I have like my content. Um, you know, my recipes is kind of where I um, like to land. I love recipe developing. So that's kind of like at my core who I am. So you can find all of the fun stuff that I've created on there or on Instagram. And go and sign up for her email list on her website because we were just before we jumped on, we were talking about how how we were both like, yeah, I don't really want to like overextend myself on social media anymore. So while we're (laughs) on social media, we're not really there a lot. Probably where you can keep in touch is email us at this point moving forward so i appreciate you referencing that (laughs) (laughs) thank you fallon i appreciate you thank you so much for having me okay we'll uh, link to everything fallon mentioned in the show notes including her email list and instagram and all those things for more for me um, i'm at coconuts and thanks for being here guys i will talk to you next week 